song. It's interesting because in light of how people want to define the following of Jesus, I heard one today flipping through the channels. This heard a statement and kept on flipping. His statement was, the United States has always been and will always be a Christian nation. And I kept flipping. Uh, that understanding who is on the Lord's side, they don't have a concept of what God has in store. And these are the same people who also say that Israel is God's chosen land and we are to support God's chosen people, the Israelites. And if the Israelites or the Jews and Christians can and should work together, they haven't dug very deeply in their wells. They haven't dug very deeply in their word to find out indeed what it is that God has said and what it is that God does expect out of us. Interesting reading is found in the book of Acts in chapter 17. Starting in verse about 22. Interesting in the fact that Paul is in the city of Athens. He's in a city of idolatry. He's meeting with the philosophers and those who love to discuss and, de and debate about new things and what might or might not be. But it's interesting because of where he is, the audience that he is addressing, and the things that he has to say. Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things that you are very religious. And how many people just want to stop there? Say, they're, they're very religious. Why bother them? For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. How can you worship the one whom you do not know? How do you know what he wants? What do you know? What would he be pleased with? And we live in a society that following the same situation. They're very religious. But they're worshiping that which they do not know. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the earth, face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. 
For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think of the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by the raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear you again on this nature. So Paul departed from among them. The world ought to know the nature of God. They've chosen not to. The world ought to know there's coming a day of judgment. The world has chosen not to. Christians know there's a day coming of judgment. But sometimes do we dig the wells that would allow us to be prepared for that day. To drink deeply from the word of God in order that we might be with him. We need to prepare ourselves ahead of time. What he gave us the word for, is it not? So that we can have an understanding of what we are, what we're facing. That we can have an understanding of who we're dealing with as we face and uh, strive against temptations and the trials of this world. And to know without a doubt whom we may lean upon. We draw a little bit of strength from the example of Jesus, if you will, in Luke 5 and verse 16. As often mentioned about him as spending time in prayer to his father, but here it says he often withdrew into the wilderness to pray to his father. How do you think he waged those battles as a human being? He went to his heavenly father, spent time with him, Reminding himself who he is, the Father. Reminding himself who he is, the Son of God. Reminding himself of the task that has been given to him. And how often would he need that communication and that well that dug deep into the heart of God so that he, he could do the job that he was asked to do. Is it any less for us? We know who the enemy is. We understand some of the tactics that he uses. But we often forget again the power that he does wield. We know from 1 John 4 and verse 4 that God is greater in us than Satan in the world. But we also forget the power that Satan wields. Take time to read Job 1 and 2 again. And look at what, Job, at what Satan was able to do in the world 
to Job and his family. The power that he wielded with the enemies that overtook his land, with all the damage that was done, Satan yielding that power. Read in chapter 2. Satan had the power to affect the physical body. Had his limitations by God. You can touch him, but you cannot take his life. But the power that he wielded is beyond comprehension for us. He schemes, he's deceptive, he's a liar. He's unseen by us in the physical eye. So how do you fight against him? You make sure that your source of strength is deep in the word of God. We need to well because there is this day of judgment. It's been assigned by God. That day only the Father knows. But when that day comes, then it's going to be too late. Those that rebelled, as you read in, in Revelation, those who want to call the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and to hide them, it's too late. Too late if you wait until that final day because we do not know when that final day is and whether we will have that time to make that preparation. It is always a joy to see one who comes to the Lord late in physical life, to see the transformation take place and the dedication to the Lord that follows that. What a joy it is that they've had time to change before death came. And to see that individual just enjoy the physical, the spiritual life to his nth degree until he died. But we don't know. You make that well, you dig that well deep and strive to be a part of God's family. We will all be judged. Again, he's writing to the Athenians, those in Athens, those who worship idols, those that were caught up in idolatry, those that were involved in all the witchcraft and everything else that would go along with it. And he reminded them, he will judge the world, in verse 31, in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He will judge the world in righteousness, God's righteousness through Jesus Christ. All of the world will be judged. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of preparation. Now is the time to prepare yourself to face this world and all of its deception to be prepared to meet God one day. We will all stand before the Christ and have to give an answer for what we've done. Paul, in writing to the Romans in the 14th chapter, Verses 10 and following. But why do you judge your brother? But why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to me. So then 
each of us shall give an account of himself to God. No group judgment, no group salvation. Each one of us individually will give an account. That is not how you were brought up. That is not how long you've been a member of the church. That is not all of that. If one decides to depart, there's a consequence. We're going to be judged by the life that we live. We'll give an account of the deeds that we've done in the body. We go over to 2 Corinthians 5 and in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You make the choice. When you do the bad, do we repent of it, confess it, deal with it? Then God forgives. But we will give an account for what we've done. We give an account for every deed that we've done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. The bad we deal with the blood of Christ, or allow the blood of Christ to deal with it. But that means we have to be in that blood. We have to be that child of God. We have to let that blood cleanse us from all sins as we confess them, as John brings out in 1 John chapter 1 very well. It's the life that we choose. And again, we need to be prepared and drink deeply from the well of God's Word because we face a world that has always been under Satan's control for that aspect of it, always bent on the destruction of those who believe in God. To destroy them, we've left his kingdom. We've chosen to have another king. And his desire is to reclaim us. Doesn't matter how. Doesn't make any difference to him how. Does not matter how long it takes. Sad commentary is, again, is to know of those brothers and sisters in Christ who have served the Lord for 50 years or more. 60 years. And then in their latter years, depart from the faith. Not drift. Depart. Teach a totally contrary doctrine than what they believed and preached for 50 years or more. They departed from the faith. We will give an account. And ours is to want to give an account behind the blood of Jesus Christ. The doing of His will. Some will hear good news. In Matthew 5 and verse 34, when he talks about preparing a place for you and receiving you, what type of life are we living? You think about the Lord standing before him. I don't know how to picture that. But we use human terms, and that really doesn't suffice. Uh, we may picture him as standing here in a judgment seat. You're out there, and he is going to judge you by what you have done. 
It used to be years ago when you, I think about it, I think about that was in the back of the days when tape recorders were popular, that he was going to, he had recorded all your words and everything you said down through time, and then he's going to pop the tape in and play it back. Get you, you get to hear all the things you said and should not have said. And then it went to the videos. That's even worse. Uh, to have that video for all the world to see, all creation to see. But that's not it. You're judged as an individual. And it's not going to take God eons to judge the world. He's already doing that. The day of judgment is that, the the passing of sentence. Here's what you did. Here's the consequence, and here's the sentence that's coming down. And it's going to be done instantaneously. If he could create a universe by a spoken word, I mean, be honest. How long is it going to take him to do judgment? Knowing, Knowing the end from the beginning, how long would it take him to do that? No plea bargaining. We live in a society that thrives on plea bargaining. It's not there for God. Either you've done his will or you have not. There'll be those that will hear the terrible words, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never, never knew you. Terrible consequence. And to know again, then it's too late to dig your well spiritually. We need to have deep wells in the God's Word to face the times of temptation. You know, there's no neon sign going out. Satan sending it out, neon sign. Listen, I'm coming your way, and I'm going to tempt you. And here's what I'm going to tempt you with. And you can say, hey, I'm ready for you. Come on. I've got the Word of God. No. He may do it Verbally, or he may do it confronting you. But so many times, he just sneaks in the back door. He can come in so deceptively that you don't even know that he's there. Read the news. Read the papers. Look at where we are in our society. And I don't care how far back you want to go. Uh, I know you can take it all the way back, if you will, to the movie Gone with the Wind. And the one word in it that upset society. But since then, 10, 15 years ago, I would not have believed that they would be having the TV shows that they have today aired during prime time TV, as they call it, showing and depicting activities and relationships that are so totally totally against what God would have. And they're portrayed in a way that you can, they laugh at them. Oh, that's funny. Isn't that cute? That's Satan sneaking in. The language... They try to bleep it out. But even what they don't bleep out is bad enough. And what they do bleep out, you, you, 
you know, particularly if you're reading what's there, they just give you letters and put little X's and stars in the middle. Well, you know what that word is. I don't need to want to hear what the word is or read what that word is. Satan is there. That's just the way things are today. That's just the language that it is today. And on and on we could go with where we are in society. And again, I'm reminded, listen, God's already determined the day of reckoning. He already has a day appointed where there will be a judgment. There will be that day of separation of the righteous from the wicked. So he already knows. And that day is going to unfold one day. Ours is to be sure that we are on the right side. Our adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's the other side of it. He's not tame in uh, not wanting to hurt you. He'll rip your heart out in whatever way he can. He's, he's out to destroy you. He'll do something unexpected to you or to your family that you will question God. How many times has that happened? How many times when something as terrible has happened, people have made to cry, God, why have you done this to me? It's not God. Go back and read Job 1 and 2 again. It's not God. Satan's involved. He's a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he can devour, destroy, lead back into his world for the ultimate destruction. He's there. We need to be careful of our own fleshly desires. Over in James chapter 1. I love these Bibles with real thin pages. If I turn up several pages at one time, I've gone four books. And then I have to turn back page by page. But in James chapter 1. Verse 12 and following. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full, full grown, brings forth death. The King James has the word lust there. And I've often said that, that verse 15, that's the, to me, that's that LSD passage. Lust, sin, death. Well, LSD does to you. It kills you. But that's what it does. It's lust. It's desire. It's giving into it. Then you sin. Sin comes from you. Your, your desires that you've allowed to be there. Listening to the wrong voice. Listening to that wrong guidance along the way. And it will bring forth the death. There's no exception to that. The death it will be there either through the blood of Jesus Christ or through the blood that you will leave or that you will shed and you enter into eternity and punishment. The price will be paid either by you or by the Lord. It's just a choice as to which one it will be 
within your life. Throughout the scriptures, we remind time and time again, you have to watch the life that you live. Satan, his job is to entice you. There's the lust or there's that desire. He will constantly do it. Advertisers know that you're not inclined to do or buy their product by the first time that that they advertise it. But by the thousandth time that you've heard it or seen it, then it becomes a part of your life. And then it becomes more acceptable. How many times does the world tell you, you deserve this new vehicle? You read some of those ads and read what's under them. We knocked $25,000 off the price of this truck. You knocked $25,000 off the price of that truck. What does it start with? But I promise you, they're not selling it at a loss. Uh, But that's the enticement. Or the enticement, buy it now, no interest payments for 60 months or whatever it is that they want. Anything to get you to buy into it. Satan wants you to be pleased with the things of this world. God reminds us this world is passing away. And everything in this world is going to perish. And if I pursued the things of this world, what have I forfeited for that? But if I forfeit the world, what have I gained by serving God and being faithful to Him? Trials and tribulations may come our way simply because we are Christians. Paul tells us that in Second Timothy 3 and verse 12. All who desire to live godly, what? Will be persecuted. That's a given. You're opposed to the world by living a godly life. By living a godly life, you're telling the world that what they're doing is wrong, so they are going to persecute you. Because you make them feel uncomfortable. There are those out there that want to let the world feel comfortable in what they're doing. I need to quit watching television, reading the news or whatever else is out there because what I read and see and hear is just sad. Sad commentary where we're at. Our society is actively promoting anything and everything goes. No exceptions, no restrictions. You make your own choice and you live your life your own way. No restrictions at all. That's just utter chaos. It will not work. It has not worked. But this is where we're headed. Only hope I have. Draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. Keep your wells deep in the word of God that you may drink from it freely. That it may be there in the times that you need it long before you get there. 
There's no more comforting thought that when the trials and the tribulations come our way, to know here, here is the answer. Here is where I need to be. This is what God is wanting from me. It does not matter what the world says. This is what God is wanting from me. I want to stand with the Lord. I want to be faithful to Him. Because His Word has already told me. There's only two destinies that lie beyond death. And His Word tells me I choose. That's frightening to one degree. I choose to follow God. That's comforting and that's rewarding. But how many times do I choose to listen to Satan? Oh, just for the moment. Just for that flickering thought. What a choice to choose something temporary and lose what is eternal. That's why the word is given to us. Dig your wells well before you need them, before you are thirsty. Keep your eyes, your words, your thoughts deep within the word of God. While we pray and while we plead, as you see your soul's deep need, God has always had that invitation. God has always pleaded with us to be able to come home or come to him. But the choice has always been left to us. He calls in a general way. He pleads with us to return. And for the child of God, who have allowed the world to begin to creep in, I don't think there's a greater joy than knowing that the loving Heavenly Father will welcome you home with loving arms. As the prodigal son returned, the father was waiting and ran to meet his son. My son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. That's the heart of God. His desire that you dwell with him eternally. You make the choice. If we could assist you, we could help you in any way in that decision, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.